Well, we're back online, so now they can hear you online, too. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. What a beautiful, beautiful day. And uh, to be able to gather here in this beautiful room for us to seek warmth and learning this morning. Uh, my name is Mary Jane Bowman, and um, please join me in the welcome candle this morning. It should be in your bulletin. Come, come, whoever you are, wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving, it doesn't matter. Ours is not a caravan of despair. Come, even if you have broken your vows a thousand times, come. Come yet again. Excellent. Hey, group, it's time to stand and sing a hymn together. And since we are back online, I want to say hi to two people that are probably watching. Uh, Judy and her son, Wes, usually sit right here in the front row. Uh, but I just want to say hello, hello, you guys, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. So, uh... I don't know if people come up yet or not, but um, if we did, just sing along the chorus as best you can, whatever words you remember, or sway back and forth. It's a waltz. You can do that. Well, yeah. There are many ways to participate. <laughs> Make up your own words. That's right. You do that. Now is also the perfect time to bring your offering and your attendance card forward to the table. Yes. Here we go. Though below me I feel no motion, standing on these mountains and plains, far away from the rolling ocean. Still my trial at heart can say I've been sailing all my life now Never harbor or port have I known The wide universe is the ocean I travel And the earth is my blue bone home It's this sun my sail, moon my rudder Sun my sail and moon my rudder As I ply the starry sea Leaning over the edge in wonder Casting questions into the deep Drifting here with my ship's companions All we kindred pilgrim souls Making our way by the lights of the heavens In our beautiful blue boat home This is I Give Thanks to the Waves I give thanks to the waves upholding me Hail the great winds urging me on Greet the infinite sea Sing the sky, my sailor song. I was born upon the fathoms, never harbor or port if I know. The wide universe is the ocean I travel, and the earth is my blue born home. The wide universe. The wide universe is the ocean I travel. And the earth is my blue ball home. 
Well done, y'all. Way to hang in there. Now it's time to take a moment and offer one another a sign of peace, please. Good morning, good morning. You've already met my better half. I get the opportunity to do the gift of story. We have a, two, a pair of readings, one, uh, both from the inclusive Bible, one from the Old Testament of Deuteronomy, and then one from the Gospel. I don't think we have them. Okay. So for Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 through 5, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God is one. You are to love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And from Matthew 22, 35 through 39, an expert on the law attempted to trick Jesus with this question. Teacher, which commandment of the law is greatest? Jesus answered, you must love the, you must love the most high God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. 
That is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You must love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, the whole law is based, and the prophets as well. Nice. We're going to invite y'all to sing again without any lyrics. Good luck. <laughs> no, please join us on this. Uh, it's, it's fairly repetitive. It's the uh, Out Beyond Ideas uh, roomy poem that's set to music. So uh, here we go. Like this. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Just repeat that again. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field. I'll meet you there. Now the verse. And the soul lies down in that grass. The world is too full to talk about ideas and language. Even the phrase each other it doesn't make any sense. Now the chorus again. Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field I'll meet you there. Once again. Out beyond ideas of Wrongdoing and right doing, there is a field I'll meet you there. Now the verse again. And the soul lies down in that grass. The world is too full to talk about ideas. And language, it even the phrase each other, it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Out beyond ideas of wrongdoing and right doing, there is a feel I'll meet you there. I looked at Tom during the middle of that song and I said, it just doesn't make sense because that's one of the main lines. <laughs> and the world that we live in, at least right now, to me, doesn't feel like it makes a lot of sense. And I think the beauty, one of the beautiful things about this community and about this uh, service is that we can sit in the middle of it not making sense and be with each other 
and realize that we don't have to have all of the answers and that even if we can't find the answers or there are no exact answers, that we still have a foundation that we can build upon. And so in the midst of the uncertainty of the time in which we live and the uncertainty of our own lives, let us uh, close our eyes, take some deep breaths to center ourselves, and spend a few moments here together. Oh, Holy One, the question seems so big. And we feel as though we are one person. In the midst of a lot of uncertainty and chaos that is swirling within us and around us. And yet here we are, being reminded that we are community. That there are others who are beside us. There are others who have gone before us and that we are here so that those who follow might have a sense that we are not alone. So in this time as we reflect, in this time as we breathe the same air together, may we be reminded that as a community we are more than one person that we care for ourselves, and in caring for ourselves, then we are able to care for others. And that is all that we are called to do. In the caring, the being present, the being still, in the listening, in the questions, and in the wondering, it is that we find the holy. May it be so now. In the name of the one in whom we live and move and have our being, we pray. Amen. Woke up this morning. I suddenly realized we're all in this together. I started smiling, cause you were smiling. We're all in this together. I'm made of atoms, you're made of atoms. We're all in this together. And long division just doesn't matter. We're all in this together, yeah. I saw you walking in the city. We're all in this together. The city's changing, cause we are changing and we're all in this together. 
every 12 seconds someone remembers that we're all in this together and in the kitchen of your rent control department we're all in this together come on people i don't be to rush you i all i wanted to reach out and touch you i've got to start to open my I know you think about jumping ship before it sinks, but we are all in this together. I ask a scientist, it's quantum physics. We're all in this together. And on the subway, we feel like strangers, but we're all in this together. Yeah, I love you, and you love her, and she loves him, but we are all in this together. You know, baby, there's never been protection in all the history of human connection. Come on, darling, it's all right to show me you don't ever have to be lonely once you start. crying and I started crying because we're all in this together and then religion is a big decision but we're all in this together all in this together because we're all in this together we're all in this together yeah we're all together yeah we're all in this together we're all in this together yeah we're all in this together So uh, we've got, you know, this idea of the beginning song, which you didn't really get to hear the lyrics to. You might have remember, you might have been able to, you might know the Indigo song, the Indigo Girl song, uh, "Perfect World." We get to be a ripple in the water, but then she, you know, it, it's she talks about how we kind of choose to do something else. We choose to kind of look the other way, and it's a perfect world when we look the other way. It's kind of the it's kind of the point of that song, is the is the chorus of that song. And, and it's an important theme, I think, as we think about the various stories that guide our lives. Um, and so the story that we want to tell today, or that I'm thinking about today, is the story of separation. All of these are kind of grounded and rooted in that story of domination that I spoke about at the very beginning of this series, which is the story kind of the top down. We sort of, we sort of allow ourselves to be in these hierarchies of relationships where there's a power in control of everything. And we, at best, we try to make sure it's the power we want in control of everything. But we're always at odds with the others who want a different power 
in charge of everything. And to see it in its most graphic, see that narrative in its most graphic and discomforting and horrific practice, we just have to look to the Middle East because that's what's happening there. But it was also happening before then in Ukraine. But it wasn't quite so black and white. And that's the challenge, I think, sometimes when our narratives become too fixed, they become destructive. And, and what evolution tries to remind, this whole idea of thinking about evolution as a way of thinking about faith in terms of how we evolve or how Christianity evolves or how we help a Christianity evolve with the world around us, in terms of that, we have to recognize that we're a part of change. Because what happens when you don't change? Ask any addict. Ask anyone stuck in a completely broken relationship. Ask any country stuck in a broken political relationship. What happens when we don't change? Now, the rest of the world's going to change, and I guarantee you, you will still change. <laughs> you, know, you will change. And a lot of people are going to die. A lot of people are going to get hurt. A lot of people are going to suffer. You, we will change because we evolve. That's just reality. Sometimes it's really, really slow. But the reality is change. We all know that personally. We all know it biologically. We know it socially. So I was talking to my granddaughter, picking her up at school, my, t my 11-year-old granddaughter, and as she, we were coming home from school, we've been asking her this question when we pick her up, you know, how was your day? You know, how was it today? What was it like? What was, it, what did, what was the adventure like today? And the last couple of days, it's been the same thing. I had a horrible day and a miserable day. It was a bad day. And I said, really? You mean the whole day? No, especially at the end of the day. And I said, well, what happened? And, she, and it's always the same kind of thing. She said, well, Vicky was talking to Lucy, and then Lucy something said something to, to Alexi, and Alexi said something about Lucy, but I don't think she really said what she thought that Lucy thought she said, but then they've started saying that someone else said that's what she said, and then next thing you know is they don't like each other now. And I, and I said, this happened at the end. She said, at the very end of the day, and she said, and then I just watched it kind of unfold, and Lucy started crying, and, and, she, and I said, well, what did you do? She said, well, it just made me mad. And I said, why did it make you mad? And she said, because I don't like it when people don't like each other. I don't like it when people get mad at each other. They're all my friends, and that makes me not want to like Alexi because of what she said about Lucy. And I said, and I looked at her, and I said, I thought you had a bad day. She said, well, it was a bad day because it was happening. And I said, but it happened to them. It sounds like they had the bad day. And she said, no, I had a bad day. Now, that's an interesting observation, right? Because we look around us and we have bad days because other people are having bad days. But we interpret it as our bad day. And I don't mean to say that we shouldn't be compassionate or empathetic. What I mean to say is we should be telling a different story. But what we're not doing is we're just reacting to the story that's being told. So we're literally supporting it regardless of what we think we're doing. The question again, back to the beginning, is which comes first, the reality or the story we tell about it or the story we live by? We're all in this together, but the challenge is, is like that roomy statement, out beyond ideas of right and wrong, there's a field and I'll meet you there. That's the challenge. How do we get there? Because we're stuck in the not making sense. We're stuck in the we can't see past our own familiarity. 
We're stuck in an addiction. We're stuck in a bad relationship. We're stuck in our political reality. Because, or we're stuck in a church that disaffiliates and can't, can't get along with it. So we're stuck in these places because I think maybe we think that's the only option there is. It's either them or us. It's either right or wrong. When it could be, we're ignoring the most basic reality in which we exist. Life itself. How does life move forward? It can either evolve painfully or it can evolve cooperatively, collaboratively. Now here's how, here's how Jesus put it in relationship to the Old Testament. So the Deuteronomic text, which says, and I don't have the whole thing here, but the gist of it says that I included was the, um, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God is one. Well, that's a classic affirmation of Judaism. Our God is one, the one God. You are to love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. Yeah, 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 we get that. But what we don't realize is that if you follow that up, it's like our God will protect us. Our God will keep us safe. It is in that God that we find our refuge, and it's essentially against all others. There is this sense that this is our God, this is our allegiance, this is the one who protects us, and we love God with all our strength and our soul. Now, that's the Old Testament understanding and the and the and the legal expert came up to Jesus and said I get that and Jesus said okay but here's the other one that's just like it not just love God with all your heart soul and mind but you are to love your neighbor as yourself now we often think of that from ourself first I just need to be kind well kindness is good Kindness is good, but I just need to be nice. I just need to be kind. I need to think about others. But that's not what he's saying. I want to suggest that what Jesus is saying is because they are yourself. You and they are the same. You and they are together. You and they are inextricably interconnected, quoting Martin Luther King Jr. We are inter inextricably interconnected in one another's destiny, one another's reality, and in all of life's destiny and reality. Loving others as ourself isn't being just nice to others because I got stuff I can share. It's because they are me. They're a part of me I don't know yet. They're a part of me I'm not willing to see in myself. They're a part of me that can enlighten me and enliven me in ways I don't know. And I'm a part of them in ways they don't know. That's what that means. That literally turns that Old Testament idea on its head. And suggest if you want to love God with all your strength and might and soul, then you begin to see the world as completely interconnected and grounded in God's reality. And that's a challenging thing. It's hard to get there for one reason, because we like drama. Tell me I'm wrong. We love drama. I mean, I've got some of the smartest people I know that start complaining about somebody else. I'm going, really? I mean, I get it. But that's just you. You're just talking about yourself when you're complaining. You're just buying into that same pattern of looking at others in this negative kind of biased way as if they are something else other than you. And it's so difficult to get out of that pattern because it's not our biology. Now, here's an important thing. That's not our biology. Do you hear what I'm saying? 
You want to be a massively successful basketball player? What do you end up doing? You practice every day, eight hours a day for who knows, 10,000 hours, 20,000 hours, all your life. Nyad, that movie, that movie that just came out about uh, the woman that swam across from Cuba, beautiful movie, powerful story. She's a, man, I wouldn't want to have to deal with her very often, you know, interpersonally for very, I mean, she's a demanding, insisting person who says you are more than you know, and you need to get out there and be more than you know, because you can do it. I'm 65, or she was 64 when she finally did it, swam from Cuba to Key West. Beautiful story. She swam hours every day for 35 years. It's not in your biology to see others as yourself. It's not. The only way we can get there is by practicing. And that is difficult because our tendency is to want to flee to want to fight, or to want to freeze. And, and to be honest, that can, that, even if that's difficult, even if that's scary, it's more familiar. Jesus took it to its limits for his time. He literally put everything he had into being that embodiment of God in the world, seeing others as sacred as himself seeing others as God, in, the Imago Dei, seeing others as God in the world, but they can't get there because they don't see it either. How do you live then? You have to go in uncomfortable. Last week, he, went to, he took the Jews over across the lake. He took his Jewish disciples across the lake, and he went to Gerasa, or Gerada, depending on where you want to call it, and he went over there, and that's all Gentiles, and that's all Greco-Roman people, and they killed all the Jews about 100 years before that. Let's go over there and see those people. What? You see, when, what Jesus is doing is he's forcibly changing the biology, his neurobiology, because he has a bigger story. And that is what we have to begin to do. We have to place ourselves in difficult places, and we have to see the bigger story. And like Angela Davis said last week, you have to believe it's true, it's possible, and you have to practice it every day in every small and every significant way. And it doesn't mean that you simply step back and go like, well, you guys, I see you being over oppressed over there and you guys are doing the oppressing. And we'll let you, first of all, you need to know it's a bigger story than that. You, you gotta step in where people are being hurt. You gotta stand up where things are being destructive. But you also, we also need to know the story's bigger than that and the story we need to be telling and living out of is that larger story. That neither one is right. The bigger story is trying to find a place we can all coexist. And that story has to be grounded in something bigger than us. And to say that it's God is a really difficult thing. Because what are we going to do? What are we going to do when we say that that bigger story is God? We're going to fall back on our story of God. And what do we do with our story of God before we know it? God, we co-opt God. We weaponize God. We make God our image. And it has to be bigger than that. So what I've been suggesting in this whole thing, because we haven't gotten to the answer yet, and some of you only come once every six weeks, you may miss the answer, I'm sorry. <laughs> 
I'll hint at it from time to time. <laughs> but, but the reality is the story that is bigger than that is the story that reminds us we are a part of the same reality. We are all a part of the same creation, the same creative process, the same sacred divine reality that is in all things and that gives rise to all possibilities. But it's not there for co-opting, it's there for, for giving away. And that's, again, going to that unfamiliar place. We like our stuff, just like we like our stories just like we like our ideas and our beliefs. And we make them solid and they become, guess what they call that? Idols. They become more important than the reality around us. And the challenge then is to figure out a way to go to the uncomfortable place of being a part of that bigger story. So uh, one of the things that, we've, that we've, you can think of in terms of these narratives is that you can think of them in terms of um, how they relate to others. So the domination narrative means us over them. The, revolu the revolution narrative means us overthrowing them. But what happens? We end up back with the domination narrative, right? And then we have the purification narrative, which means us better than them. They're not, in, they're not welcome because they don't fit. Whatever the reason is, whether it's sexual identity uh, and orientation, or whether it's race, or whether it's ethics, or whether, I mean, whether it's um, your theology, or whether it's your God doesn't belong here with my, I mean, any number of ways, that's the purification story that we divide ourselves. And then the, the accumulation story is us out-competing them, which is a really familiar story in our country, in, our, in the Western world, the story of more. And then finally, this story us being totally separate from others, that until we can see others actually as us, that you're just a part of me I don't know yet, and man, I'm curious, and you scare me, I'm even more curious, really, anybody in here going to go, that's what, that feels good, right, I mean, how many of us are just like, yeah, I can't wait till I go talk to that argumentative, belittling person, <laughs> that's because the only way you understand it is flight. Fright, I mean, flight, uh, fight or freeze. But what about curiosity? What about compassionate curiosity? What about the fact that you know they don't know what you know? That the story's bigger than both of us. And I'm curious to see what else is there. Not because I can't wait to show you where you're wrong, or not because I can't wait till you line up where I'm comfortable, because I can't wait to discover what I don't know that's there. So it becomes a very challenging creative process. And why is it hard to do? Because we don't practice it. We have to practice it. And I guarantee the first 150,000 times might be really uncomfortable. But eventually you find yourself going, you know what? This is fun. I'm not even afraid of dying anymore. I'm just afraid of missing out. And not in the same way that I used to which was fear of missing out on all the fun stuff I can have for me. Now that I know that you're me, it's all the interesting stuff that I don't know yet. That let's discover this together. And we'll have one of those moments, right? I was at the Mott's 5 and 10 years ago, wearing my suit. I was a minister here. I was over the youth ministry back when we wore suits at church on the weekdays. And I was going for a board meeting, you know, and I had to go by Mott's 5 and 10 to pick up some name tags. And so I went by at about 5 o'clock, and I was there standing in line when I suddenly felt somebody 
I felt a gun at my back. I didn't know what the, somebody was, but I felt a gun at my back. And it just said, get behind the counter. And so I stepped behind the counter, and now the gun was pointed at my chest and also pointed at the clerk. And she was just looking at me going, it's okay, it's okay. You know, she was just trying to calm me down. Oddly enough, I wasn't scared. And I, just, and I thought to myself, I don't want to scare them either. And it just occurred to me at that moment to, to sort of be kind of improvisational. I mean, the reality was, is I've worked with addicts. I'd already been working with addicts for two years as a social worker. I'd worked at Planned Parenthood. I'd worked at the state hospital with folks that were likely to kick you as much as they were to hug you. So I'd been in uncomfortable realities. So I tried to see this person as something more than what I was looking at. And I just stood there for a minute while he was getting the, the money from the register. And then I said, would you like my money? I invited him if he'd like my money. And he looked at me kind of weird. I'm guessing nobody's ever done that. <laughs> you know, I really am serious. Nobody probably ever said, hey, I got money. You want mine too? And so, he, and I started to reach my wallet. And then the, the woman next to me was like, you might think you got a gun and he might shoot you. And I, he didn't, she didn't say that, but I was just like, I was just like, I, then I kind of held my jacket open. I said, I, would you like my money? And they just kind of looked at me for a second. It literally took him off guard. And at that moment, I didn't think, oh, I'm going to practice my Aikido. At that moment, I thought, what's the next invitational thing I could do? And so he said, no. And I said, are you, I mean, are you sure? I, I mean, I, you know, and he said, I don't want your money. I just need, your money's not insured. <laughs> I thought, is, he, is, is, a, is, a, is a robber really that thoughtful? <laughs> In such moments, I'm only going for insured money. And so, and so I, I said, uh, okay, okay, okay. And, he, and, he, and then he kind of calmed down for a second. And I was about to try to engage some more, but she just handed over the money from the crash register in a bag, and then they went out the door. And then she said, oh, my God, you were so comfortable. How, I mean, I was so terrified. I, 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 I've prepared for this. I've trained for this, she said. But you seem so calm. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm just falling apart on the inside. And when I get away from here, I'm sure I'm just going to be like, you know, jelly. But I said, I, I don't know. I was just thinking, you know, maybe try something different. That's kind of how I've always lived my life is trying something different in the face of anxiety. When I was a kid and I used to have nightmares, you also know, you all know that story because my family was a dysfunctional, abusive, alcoholic family and the father was abusive. And so I was the one, I was the identified kind of problem. I acted all of the tension out, had nightmares every night. Monsters were attacking me every night. One night in third grade, I'd had these for years. One night in third grade, I have no idea why. It literally just occurred to me. Nothing has ha attacked me yet. Everything's awakened me, but nothing's attacked me. They're just outside the window, always outside. Nothing's ever attacked me. I wonder if there's anything there. And I literally grabbed up my blanket, one in the morning, went outside, laid down in the backyard. Well, actually, I sat up in the backyard because I wasn't about to close my eyes. But I sat up in the backyard, and I waited all night long until clearly I'd fallen asleep. And the next night, I mean, next morning, I was awake in the backyard. Mom found me. And guess what? I didn't have those nightmares anymore. I mean, occasionally I'd still have some, but not like that. They didn't come back and haunt. I don't know if that was it or not. I didn't tell that to the, cash, to the clerk. I just said, I don't know. I just wanted to try something different. I just thought, you know, maybe there's something else going on. And then I said I used to work with addicts. And she said, well, well, you mean in a suit like that? And I said, no, I'm a minister. And she said, oh, praise the Lord.
I'm so glad you were here. Thank the Lord. That was, this has been a God moment, right? It's one of those things. And I wanted to say, lady, if you knew me, you'd know that's not a God moment. <laughs> I don't even believe in those kind of things. What I believe is that they're all God moments. Now, I'm putting it together many years later because at that moment, I just kind of smiled like I hate to be put in those positions, but whatever, and then we left. Now, later on, of course, I had the opportunity to identify the person, to go in a lineup and identify them after they'd been caught, and worried the fact that I'd had such an engaging conversation face-to-face, I didn't want to be identified, so I dressed myself up as a priest with a robe and a collar, shaved my beard and, and mustache, and cut my hair real short, and I was the only person there with a collar and a robe on with, my, with no beard. I was the... I mean, I'd be the easiest person to pick out of a lineup, you know. So it, it turned out that they didn't need a testimony. They didn't need the lineup, everything. They, they ended up working it out. But, but it occurred to me that the challenge for us is to find ourselves in difficult places and improvise and intentionally be creative. What was it that, uh, that James Baldwin said that I thought, was, that I, thought I, I loved? I read this. The Fire Next Time, I think, was the book that he had it in. And he said, to act is to be committed. And to be committed is to be willing to be in danger. That's how it works. When Jesus says, what's the most important thing? Love, the neighbor, love your neighbor as yourself. He's not saying, just be generous, just be kind. He's saying, that other person is you. That's why we're going over across the lake to the Gentiles. That's why I'm having lunch today with the centurion. That's why I'm I'm having dinner later on with the tax collector. That's why the women are following me around and and I'm involving them in leadership. Because Jesus was saying, you got to go where it is vulnerable and it is dangerous and it is risky because you know the story's bigger. And if you want to really experience how wonderful the story is, then you you start finding stuff that you really love, but you know other people could really benefit from it, and you start giving it away. And then you start thinking, oh, wow, I just gave myself this, this thing. Over. I just gave myself this thing that I just gave away to myself. It feels so good. I've just enlarged the life around me. You see how that works? This is what Ezra Klein said, and we're finishing up here, band, so y'all can come on up here. But this is what Ezra Klein said the other day. If you go online and you listen to Ezra Klein's podcast, it's difficult in a way to listen to. Ezra Klein's a journalist. He has a great podcast online called The Ezra Klein Show. Um, He had, at the beginning of the week, he had a a, a Palestinian uh, author and and leader, and he had him present the story of what's going on in Israel, what's going on in Palestine, what is the Palestinian story. And then he said, next, later in the week, I'm going to have a Jewish scholar and, and leader and author. And he had someone come in on Friday. And I listened to both of them. There was a lot of enlightening information. But here was the thing. He had said in the introduction before the thing began, he said, before there can be any kind of stable coexistence of people in Israel and Palestine, there will have to be a stable coexistence of narratives. Well, I think he's wrong there. He's right in the sense that we need a stable coexistence of narratives. They're trying it in Northern Ireland. They still allow the Northern Irish to have their, the British in Northern Ireland to have their celebrations in the, in, at their time of the year. They burn a Republic flag. They, you know, the Nationalists all step forward and they have a great celebration. And all the Republican parts, they try to get out of town as fast as they can. Then they come back and they have their celebration at a different time of the year. And it's just the opposite. Everybody else. And then here's the funny thing. They show up at the same stores. They show up at the same pubs. Their kids still go to the same schools now. 
they're beginning to integrate a little bit more. But they allow the two to coexist somehow in this tension. But the bigger story is because you know there's a bigger story. And if you can hold that as a vision, then maybe we can begin to change the self-stories and the stories of separation. Amen. You can say that we stand apart, put a fence around your yard. You can build a tall rampart and guard it with a gun. Yeah. You can dig yourself a moat, burn the bridge and burn the boats. It won't matter that much you know, all the world is fun. All the world is one. Yeah. You can march in a big parade every Independence Day. You can raise up your own flag, sing your own anthem. It'll ring out in the air with all the anthems there. To the winds of the earth declare, all the world is one. All the world is one. Go and ask the Buddha when he's sitting under the tree. Go ask Walter Ben when he's looking out at the sea. Ask Alan Shepard when he's standing up on the moon, staring at that pearl of blue. Yeah. Ask an atom in the breath you take. Ask the water by the river bank. Ask a strand of DNA it's written in your blood. One light running in your veins, one light from one big bang. You can try and separate. All the world is one. All the world is one. is sitting under the tree Ask Annie Dillard she's a Bontica Creek Ask Alan Shepard when he's standing up on the moon staring at that pearl of blue train try and make it get away you can ride up like john wayne to the setting sun but earthlings don't leave town they just go round and round until they figure out all the world is one all the world is one
Matt Petermeyer, such a great lyricist, great songs. Thanks, guys. Thanks, band. And um, so here's what um, we're going to do. I'm going to invite you to stand, and uh, I'll just recite the benediction for us. Let it be an invitation for what we do this week and how we kind of look at it. And so our time has come to an end. Our task is ended, and so we go in pieces. Old ideas are being upended. Our biology is being transcended. And we are invited, even as we are unraveling, to be traveling together into something new. A new story, a new way of seeing that I am you and you are me and we are both together in this. All together in this. All one. And so we go in pieces so that we might share the world anew around us.